Greetings, friends. This is Ian McKenzie, and this is a bonus conversation that I've put together in support of the forthcoming online summit, Calling All Men. Now, this uh, was initially brought to me by a fellow you're about to hear from, Michael Skye, who I met a number of years ago, actually, um, through my work in media and transformational culture. And uh, Michael reached out a little while ago and shared that he had these plans for a big summit to bring together uh, many men around the crisis of masculinity. Many months later, we're very close to the launch of the summit, or Michael is, and uh, I'm one of the featured speakers, of which there are quite a few, uh, including Wade Farrell, uh, Dan Doughty, Adam Jackson, Stephen Jenkinson, uh, and uh, many, many others that, uh, if this subject matter interests you at all, confronting the crisis for boys and men, then I highly recommend you sign up for this summit, which is free. And so uh, there's a link to it in the show description. Uh, you can find more details about how to register. It runs uh, very soon, actually, December 4th to 10th. And um, you can get all the details as well on the website. But this conversation is uh, with Michael to hear about more of his own story and his inspiration behind putting together this summit, as well as some of the key aspects of uh, what he learned about this crisis for men and boys. So, hope you enjoyed the conversation, and uh, please consider joining the summit. Welcome, Michael, to the show. Hi, Ian. Thanks for having me. Well, this episode is going to be primarily about the forthcoming Calling All Men Summit, of which you've been seated at the helm for uh, a number of months on the approach. And, and we will get there, certainly. But first, I'd love to ask my guests to share a little of where they are in this moment so the listener can attune, you know, where geographically, maybe emotionally, yeah, whatever feels true to be shared. So I'm in downtown Nairobi. I've just had my first child. Newborn daughter is almost six weeks old, feeling the joy of that every day and feeling the pressure of this upcoming summit. I've interviewed dozens and dozens of men and we are preparing for tens of thousands of men from around the world to join us. So yeah, the hot seat is getting hotter. We're about six days away. Wow. Well, first as well, congratulations on the birth of your daughter. You and your partner. That's a huge, Thank you. Yeah, a huge threshold. Now, I'm recalling actually back when my son was born in 2018, I was scheduled to do a production, full production recording of a new film I was working on with Stephen Jenkinson on his live show, which was called Lost Nation Road. That was the film. And everything was in place. And, you know, I had a crew. And then my partner went into labor, like the day before production was supposed to start. And so I actually ended up having to hang back, of course, necessarily so, while uh, my production crew went to Vancouver and began shooting. And then after the birth of my son, <laughs> Oren, I would then joined the crew, you know, like 24 hours later and like kept shooting. So yeah, it was quite a wild time to um, have those things coincide. And it seems, you know, perhaps mythically accurate that, you know, one birth is then followed by another here on this mm. endeavor you're doing. Yes. And I was uh, there for the birth holding the mama coaching her on pushing she can do it one more the baby's head is out it might not survive everything's on the line and the birthing this summit right now feels a bit similar 
Well, let's start a little bit further back. Now, you've left quite an eclectic life as well. You know, we've loosely, you know, known each other now a number of years, reconnected on the approach to the summit. And going back and researching for this conversation and looking back at, you know, the different strands that have occupied your time for the last, you know, few decades. I'd be curious, again, there's, there's this question, when does something begin, right? And that's an interesting thing to really consider. So like, when did this summit begin? Did it begin when you decided, hey, I want to put a summit on? You know, did it begin when you had a experience, you know, a decade earlier it, working with men? Did it begin in your childhood? You know, I'd be curious if you could trace it back and wonder about that. When did this begin, this impulse to put this together? Well, yeah, maybe we could trace it back to uh, my childhood and my upbringing. I routinely, as a boy, participated in groups and gatherings of men and groups of men who were choosing to be conscious leaders of their families, of their people, taking responsibility for men outside of the family, for humanity outside of the family. And that was in a, a Mormon religious context a place I often felt what they call the Holy Spirit, and something I later came to call honor, and I developed my own body of work around honor. But I grew up with a deep uh, connection to men and brotherhood, elderhood, uh, patriarchy was not a was not a an evil thing in uh, our language growing up. It was something to aspire to. It was a great responsibility. It was something beneficent and beautiful, something of honor. And so, you know, taking on leadership roles as a man, as a, as a father, as a brother, these things are, for me, great roles of honor. And that was kind of just steeped into my, the context of my upbringing. At 14, my parents began the war of the nuclear family. Everyone took sides. There were many casualties. You could say we're all still, you know, bearing some impact of that many years later as our children of ours. And my mom kind of went to war against the men in the patriarchy in every aspect, from, from Mormon mother <laughs> to Avenger. <laughs> and she's a, she's a pretty fierce and dominant personality. But anyway, I was just figuring out how to become a, a man as a teenager. I escaped that environment at 17, which I think I rightly uh, assessed to be toxic for me at the time. I, I ended up finding my way as a man, and then I was worried about my two younger brothers who were left at home. So that kind of concern about my younger brothers and, uh, and a call, uh, feeling a calling to go back for them, you know, that started then. And, and in that tradition, there, there was a great sense of like going back for your your brothers going back for your people. And so now as I look around the world and as I travel, I've been traveling the last 14 or so years around the world, I'm always adopting younger men and helping them a little further along their path, as well as, you know, single mothers who there's no man around for her sons and she's a bit lost as far as how to help them along. And I can't resist the urge to step in. I just love it. And so I think what sparked this desire for, to, uh, for this gathering, though, was watching one man in particular, and that's Jordan Peterson, 
and watching him tear up and get emotional when he talked about how many young men came up to him day after day after day and emailed him and he got the sense that they didn't have even one adult or male role model in their life offering them an, an affirming word and it just breaks my heart you know and I see his heart breaking over it and I see him kind of just putting himself out there and you know as imperfect as he is and we all are just he's just daring to stand up and take the arrows and, and attempting to to be a force for good in the in the lives of so I was very inspired by him and yeah, after these years of travel, I, I, I'm forcing myself to put myself back on the, the field of battle or of the game of life, whatever have you, mm. you know, and, you know, throw away the comforts of my very private, free lifestyle and dare to attempt to make a difference. Thank you for that. You know, I'm curious to circle back to you spoke of the Mormon upbringing and the noble role of the patriarch, as you you said, you know, something to aspire to. And a little bit of my history I've touched on a bit in the maybe previous episodes, but my grandfather as well was pretty high up in the Mormon church until he left. And, you know, he he got disillusioned with it. And my parents as well, they, they left. And so I didn't grow up with anything specifically Mormon upbringing or Mormon indoctrination but more like one one generation out. But I'm curious for you, you said, you know, you, you recognize it was toxic at some point. And so I wonder, could this, could you speak to that? Like, what did you recognize actually was the, either the limitations or the blind spots of this, you know, what sometimes is called a yeah, patriarchy or this hierarchy of male power. And um, on the one hand, something to aspire to, as you said, maybe as a youth, where I'm like, ah, you know, someday I could be that. But then also there's some shadow there, it seems that you said, wait a second, whoa, I got to get out of here. Well, what I was referring to as toxic was the home life mm. after my parents went to war. So it was my mother's attitude against men and the things that she would say. And the, you know, I mean, she was taking on all forms of power. And she was taking my dad to court. You know, he had stopped paying alimony and everything. And mm. so she was representing herself in court and. It was a, I mean, my mother is a warrior, you know, she's a fierce warrior, but it, it was, it was not a healthy environment for me to attempt to become a man in. So that's the toxic environment I was referring to. I did end up leaving uh, the Mormon religion and, you know, over the years, one of the things that I realized is this feeling that they would call the spirit. I later just came to recognize it as a human feeling, a human experience, something natural, something pro-survival, something positive, and a, and a guiding force uh, in life. And, you know, I, I think it can be problematic if it's, if you, if, like for men who leave a religion, um, oftentimes we throw the baby out with the bathwater. And until I kind of reclaimed this feeling as mine, not as a Mormon thing, but as mine as a human, uh, I was a bit lost. I had no access to this kind of feeling in my heart that had been a source of guidance. Mm. So I think that's, I could definitely talk for a while about, you know, 
challenges I have with uh, the Mormon religion. But let me just speak to that for a second, because I think this is something that's deeply missing in many wandering men, many men who've left whatever the, the tribe is or the, the hierarchy or the, their people is or the religion is there's often a lot of shame that comes with it, you know, the in-group. You know, when you're in the in-group, you're always looking down on the people who are not in the in-group. And then if you leave, now you're one of the shamed ones, and that's your entire life's orientation towards someone who leaves or walks away. And so part of my mission is to bring back honor as a, as a birthright or as something that men and, and women intimately know and own as, as their own that no one else can take. Well, let me follow that. I, you know, I hear as well this connection to the sacred or to the, you know, the Holy Spirit, right, the divine. And sometimes I call that to the, the spark of life or the intelligence of life. And to have one's own access to that is absolutely vital, I think, and necessary. And particularly for men to, to be able to cultivate that as a, as a source or a wellspring of purpose, right? In a sense of belonging and connection, you know, all that stuff. So I, I'd certainly agree with that. And as we look out then on, you know, let's say the, I mean, maybe only speaking to modern society, that there seems to be some real daunting statistics about how it is to be a man. And there's something also in this, almost the departure from a certain paradigm, all right, of masculinity that has been, you know, put forth as, as the right one, say in the past, but oftentimes romanticized and perhaps idealized, right? As this, you know, we knew who we, we knew who men were in the fifties and sixties, maybe, or early sixties, maybe. And then something began to shift and, you know, women began to step more into their power and, you know, the economic landscape shifted and men no longer are the primary breadwinners or could, could, could no longer really be. And there's been an attack on masculinity or, you know, there's all these different dis- ways in which people are trying to make sense of that. And yet at the same time, the statistics, you know, they are staggering. And I think maybe it's a good time for you to share a little bit of what you've gathered as well around yeah, what it's like out there. Yeah, well, some of the shocking statistics, friendlessness, men without a single friend is up fivefold, 500% since 1990. Uh, teen suicide or suicide in boys aged 10 to 14 is up 300%. Both testosterone and sperm count are down 50% in the last 50 years. And it's projected that by, at the current rate, by 2045, half of men will not be able to have offspring. Hmm. So that, I mean, there's all kinds of statistics that are probably more familiar, including that how much more frequently men take their own lives, men overdose from drugs. It's something like three or four to one men die of drug overdose compared to women. Suicide is at least four times as much. Divorced dads, I think, are something like three to five X more at risk for suicide than the average man. Yeah, it's, it's, it's pretty, it's pretty alarming. And you know, Ian, one of the things that 
inspired me to do this summit is it's just astounding to me how controversial it is that half a large um, let's say a large percentage of half of our population males are really struggling and so many people out there are so quick to dismiss it because well if we if we dare to say that men and boys are hurting or struggling then somehow this is going to take away from women's struggles and you know we can't do that so you know and then and then many men you know it's kind of in our nature in large part i think to not ask for help not want to go to the hospital not seek you know some i think it's four out of five men who do take their own lives do not seek help and one in two parents of a boy who's committed suicide never knew he was at risk of suicide mm -hmm. so we tend we tend ourselves not not to make a big deal out of our challenges and struggles and so yeah these are some of the reasons why i felt like hey yeah let's let's bring some attention to it well, as I look out as well in the commentary that's often put forth, that there's a stance, I would call it, in some ways there's a reaction to the way it is, right? There's there's basically men who say, yeah, there's there's deep problem here, right? There's this disempowerment, you know, lack of connection, all this stuff. Now, one particular reaction to this has been characterized as the manosphere on the internet, which, you know, you might or may not yeah, be familiar with. And this, that's, this encompasses folks like Andrew Tate and this kinds of like, one could say uber toxic masculinity as a reaction to, again, that feeling of disempowerment, wanting to know how to be powerful, how to feel belonging. And then men like that offering some way forward, but in many ways reinforces uh, similar like hierarchical dynamics or, or creating harm. But then the response from that side typically is that feminism is the problem. Right. It sort of characterizes feminism is the reason why we're, the things are the way they are. You know, it, we used to have we used to be in a glory age and we need to get back there. And for me, often that's a that's a kind of retroactive and often misguided response to things, because what I see when I also through the Mythic Masculine podcast, of course, interviewed many men as well. I see essentially it's the loss of village that is the core hole, the core gaping hole. And in many ways, I see you attempting to reconjure an online village, you know, for uh, five days or for however long the summit is as a way of inviting men to speak, to essentially act as mentors, right? Mentors and elders uh, for a digital village to conjure for a moment as a response to that, which is why I think that's the kind of thing that we need in order to invite men yeah, to speak, you know, what's where the pain is and how to seek support and to see each other as not separate as well. So I just thought I'd lay that out, but I'm curious, yeah, what, what stirs for you? Yeah, one of the things I'd love to have happen is many men who attend to find maybe their next mentor or a brother or a brotherhood or a men's group or men's work or an inspiring example of a man or a way forward. And yeah, as I said, men coming together in a very close, loving, kind of brotherhood, supportive type way. That's what I grew up in. That's what I know as what's normal. Um, but so many men today, they have n like no connection to another man that, that they trust. 
and uh, no one to open up to, no one who really has their back. And it's just a tragedy. And you, you add to all that, all the, all the men who never had a close relationship with their father or never maybe had the strong father that they needed or strong male role model or mentor. It's, we're in such a poverty when it comes to the natural masculine wealth that used to get passed on as brotherhood, because brotherhood is a gift. You, you can't buy it, you know. You can't buy fatherhood. It's a gift. You can't buy honor. It's a gift. You can't buy a rite of passage, you know. It's it's a gift. These things used to be given. There used to be this great wealth just passed on from the generations to the to the boys and younger men, and that's not happening anymore. And then you just have isolated individual men out there trying to find their way forward in manhood or fatherhood on YouTube or TikTok or Google, mm. you know, and it's just, yeah, my heart breaks. Mm. Well, let's hear, you know, you interviewed, I think you said upwards of maybe 30 or 50 men, you know, many of them leaders in their particular field and recognized as such. And I'm curious, again, you know, I'm sure this could be a whole other two hours of like, what are your highlights? But what were some of the highlights? You know, even if it was a, a particular conversation you had that really felt like it, you know, created revelation, something surprising conversation you had maybe where you're, you thought it would go one way and it went completely the other way. Yeah. Just what are some of the highlights from your journey with these interview series? Well, as I've gathered the names, there was no shortage of men who volunteered to be interviewed and then connect me to more men and even now that it's all, all the interviews are done, I still have men reaching out wanting to be a part of it. And so we're gonna make a live component to it. So we're gonna have one or two interviews each day through, excuse me, through our Facebook page and then in the Facebook group as we go through the seven day event. So in fact, I've got visions for a next summit, bigger and better in 2024. I'm not sure that'll happen, but one of the things is just the rise of men's work and it's taking on new forms. There's the Sacred Sons group who has their own, um, maybe it's a, a millennial take on men's work and men's groups. But men's, you know, everyone is, it seems, is becoming a men's coach or, or starting men's circles and men's groups. So it's like it's an uprising. It's a, it's a thing that's happening. There's so many men that I talk to who are bringing back rites of passage in different ways for young men. So um, my sense is that, you know, there's a groundswell uh, just beginning to happen, and, and that's a beautiful thing. I'll say also that, you know, I had some men from the quote-unquote manosphere. They'd no longer associate with it. They all kind of talk down about it. But if you go back a few years, they all would have been, you know, identified as coming from there. And I included them as well. And I, the way I feel about this is, you know, we're, we're often fighting about what should we all do in this public sphere and how should we talk, who should be included, who should be excluded, you know, like what's the one way. And I don't really see it. That's not how I see it. I, I am excited that an individual man, whoever he is, sees another human suffering or having a problem, and he steps up and he stands up and he tries to help, you know? 
That, I think, is the most important thing. And the rest is details. You know, because approaches change, beliefs change, tactics change. You know, we evolve as we go on that path. But what's most important, I think, is that men get on that path. Is that, is that they say, okay, I'm not going to sit here and be passive as I watch my brother suffering. Or as I, as, as you know, maybe my kids have been taken from me. But I'm not going to just go along with it. I'm going to be a father. You know, or I'm going to stand up for fathers. And I'm going to speak out, and so that's 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 how I see it. So I had kind of a, a pretty quite diverse range of speakers, and I don't know that all of them would have spoken had they known if some of the other ones were going to speak. But yeah, that's kind of my approach to it, and and I'm just happy to see that more and more men are stepping up to answer some kind of calling. Hmm. Well, that's the title of the summit: calling all men. And it begins in just T-minus five or six days by the time this interview comes out. Yeah, what's the, any final words you want to offer to the listener as we uh, get very close now to embarking on this journey? So it's December 4th to the 10th. I just invite uh, everyone who feels inspired, come and join us. Uh, it's free to attend. Uh, the live interviews are live on Facebook as well. Yeah, my intention is to welcome everyone and have you feel welcome. And I really hope that yeah, you can find at least one connection, you know, one new friend, one new brother, one new mentor there. And yeah, come and get inspired by men turning their crisis into a calling and, you know, men taking it upon ourselves to solve the, the huge challenges that we're facing. Thanks, Michael. We'll see you there soon. Thank you, Ian. Thanks for listening to this episode with Michael Skye. And once again, check out the show notes for the link to the summit, uh, Calling All Men, and get all the details there. As well, if you're listening to this on a podcast platform like Spotify or Apple, uh, and you have not subscribed to the podcast uh, newsletter on Substack, I would highly recommend you do because there are uh, different posts that go out um, that do not go out as podcast episodes. And so Unless you're subscribed to the Substack, which is free, then uh, you'll be you'll miss some of these uh, special posts. So check that out again. Uh, link in the show notes as well. You can go to themythicmasculine.substack.com. And once again, thank you to all my listeners and folks who have joined me on this journey along the way, which is nearing, or actually, it's just over four years since I began this podcast. And I've got big plans for the year ahead which I'm very excited to announce in the near future. Thanks again.